0: Uh, Welcome to the World Game Podcast. Another stunning day of football today. And I tell you what, who is stunning is also Lucy with me. Hey, Lucy.
1: Oh, stop it. I'm not stunning after an 18-hour day, Christoph. You can spare me the compliments, but what a day it was.
0: I know, crazy. And then during the day and at night. I mean, let's go through what's happened today. Let's cross with uh, the host country, Russia, uh, going down 3-0 to Uruguay. That was kind of expected, really.
1: Yeah, it was. And that was going to be the real test for them, is seeing how they could compete with with a top footballing nation. And, I mean, we know of Uruguay's qualities, two-time World Cup champions. Of course, I know it was all the way back in 1930 and then 50, respectively. But these are seasoned veterans at this level. And we always knew that Uruguay was going to be their biggest test in the group with the greatest of respect to Saudi Arabia and Egypt. So... Yeah, we got to see why the Russian people leading into this tournament were so nervous about their performances and why they kept saying and insisting. We heard a lot of the intel from Strilla about the, the, the journalist's views from Russia is don't embarrass us, just please don't embarrass us. So I don't think that they really embarrassed themselves against Uruguay. They were just outclassed by a far more experienced and quality team.
0: Absolutely. Let's listen uh, to this fan. I was in a bar actually watching this match and I thought i got to talk to this guy because he had a funny hat. Uh, Can
1: I- <laughs> Your job, you're in a bar <laughs> watching this match. Far out right? I
0: know, I know. On expenses, no, now this is not on expenses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, be careful now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's not on expenses. Okay, let's listen to this guy. Russia just lost against Uruguay, but Russia is qualified for the second round. As a Russian fan, how do you feel about this? Uh, this is good for us. It's uh, in group, it's two wins, one loss. That's okay. We don't believe in it, we think that it will be three losses. Maybe, maybe two lose, but it was to win. And in only one loss, that's okay. There's no problem, it's a it's,
2: it's good result, yeah.
0: It's the first time since the collapse of USSR that uh, Russia is going through the group stage. As a Russian national, you're young. Uh, you must be feeling very proud. Yeah, yeah, it's the first time when we go to group stage. Yes, it's a it's, it's good result, it's a really good result. We, uh, all my life, all my life, uh, uh, there is no
3: so good results, and that's okay. That's okay
0: wins in the end. They've got to be happy to be out of this group. First time since the, like I said in this interview, first time since the USSR fell down that Russia is going through. So they've got to be happy.
1: Of course they do. And you're in the round of 16 when nobody expects you to even win a match in the group stages. So I guess there is still a lot of hope. I mean, I know that there's a, a fabulous and affectionate term that's been given to their coach Stanislav Trichesov, which is the moustache of hope. So they can have hope. It's not going to get them very far in the round of 16. Um, that's going to be a big challenge for them because because we now know that their opponents in the round of 16 are going to be Spain. Spain.
0: Yeah, I know. we'll talk about this in a minute.
1: Oh yeah. my gosh! So yeah, they're really up against it, and I think everybody knows that they're going to get absolutely pummeled. Um, but yeah, it's been just remarkable to see the way that everything has played out, and of course for Egypt, you know, really sad that they walk away from this tournament without managing to record a win.
0: Exactly. Yeah, two-one against Saudi Arabia. Uh, first win in 12 matches in this work- in a World Cup for Saudi Arabia. Uh, that's that wasn't expected to. be be honest because egypt walking away from this workout with zero wins and three losses that we could not have seen this coming
1: and no, uh, and again, it is, it's said with the greatest of respect because Saudi Arabia, they were an absolute shambles against Russia in that opening match. I mean, 5-0, that was a, a disgraceful result. But then they looked a lot better against Uruguay. And I thought this is where we're starting to see, obviously, a bit more of the Pizzi effect and what he's trying to achieve with the team. We all know of his qualities as a coach. Um, but, you know, it was always going to be a hard graft taking on this Saudi Arabian side. And I say that because this is a nation that's been experiencing a lot of disarray in football for a number of years now. They just can't seem to get their coaching right and our our biggest sort of argument with them has been that they don't have a a clear strategy or a long term football plan and it's almost a bit contradictory of us as Australia saying that because we too don't have any real clear direction um, and and, and where we're going as a nation and who we are in terms of football identity patterned down yet. So Saudi Arabia, they're going through very similar challenges and I think they'll need to walk away from this learning a lot of harsh lessons but I feel for Egypt. I really do. You know, it's been such a long time since they've been on the world stage uh and to have Mohamed Salah come into the tournament um in the state that he was after injuring himself in the Champions League he wasn't at his best he obviously wasn't used in the in the opening game against Uruguay in which Jimenez was able to get that last-ditch effort header but then he came on um, in the second match and you could see he was still carrying something he wasn't at his best the third match he got the goal uh which was fabulous to see but it just wasn't enough
0: Yes, and then Group B happened. And what a night it was. I mean, Portugal, Spain, we, we knew they were uh, likely to top that group, but that was close because if you look at the results, Portugal, Iran, 1-1. One, one, uh, Spain, Morocco, 2 all as well. So there were draws. But how crazy was Portugal, Iran? Like as a match to start with, crazy.
1: Uh, look, what we do know now is that it should never have finished 1-1. And I'll say that with utter conviction because when you look at it on replay, that penalty that Ronaldo ended up missing, uh, Beran van de actually comes off his line. And you can see well before the ball is kicked. So that sh- that goal never should have stood. The handball against Cedric was actually very questionable also. But then it was a similar incident for Australia in the game against Denmark where they probably shouldn't have had a penalty for that handball either. So again, some issues around the VAR, that's a separate podcast in itself. Um, There have been so many contentious decisions and issues that either have been called or haven't been. So again, like I said, how long do we want to keep going? Because we could all night about the VAR in itself, but we'll leave that aside. I think the narratives that have come out of this too, especially for me. Spain v Morocco? Come on, Spain. What what are we talking about here? You came into the tournament as favourites and I'll tell you what, they've, they've disappointed me. They really have because they played out a very tight match with Iran and then to come into this game against Morocco, everyone thought they're going to get the job done. But they didn't. They went behind twice. They had to come back. So, yeah, really fascinating stuff around them. They're no longer, for me, a tournament favourite because I feel like, and people may think I'm a bit nuts, but I call them a dark horse coming into the tournament, Christoph, England, can we call it now? Are they going to win the damn thing?
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, cr- says <laughs> the Frenchman. <laughs> That's a cry from my heart. Uh, just quick touch on, on Portugal. Red card or not for Ronaldo? Uh, Should he have been a red card? Uh,
1: say no. And I know there will be a lot of people that disagree with me and that's what we love about football in that everyone will have an opinion whether it's right or wrong. Um, you know, they deemed that it was only a yellow. Although I thought that um, the number eight for Iran there, and apologies the name escapes me now, but um, I thought that he should have also been penalised for the way that he was obstructing Ronaldo in that situation. I didn't like that either what I would have been happier with is if they both got either yellow cards or just a talking to to say, enough of this garbage guys you know, keep it clean and actually just get on with the job because from there on you could see it started to unravel and and Foz made a really good point on air in which he said, you know the way in which that player came down and started to throw himself about, that was embarrassing and we as Australians, we condemn that kind of behaviour, we don't like any kind of simulation or carry on but the point about Iran is that they don't need to do that they've got some quality players and they can play football and I thought Carlos Queiroz did did a fabulous job with them tonight, and a lot of that was because he had intimate knowledge of Portugal, intimate knowledge of Ronaldo after his two spells there, guided them to the, you know, to the to the round of sixteen in 2010. So he knew about them, and he set them up in a beautiful way. It just didn't go their way at the end.
0: Absolutely. So just to wrap up uh, this round, uh, for the next round, Portugal will play Uruguay, and Spain will play Russia. That would be certainly interesting. Portugal, Uruguay, that's going to be a hot, hot, hot contest. Oh, I
1: can't wait for that.
0: I'm going to check if I can get some tickets for this one.
1: Oh, yeah, of course you are, because you're going to pubs, you're going to games. I'm telling you, I want to swap jobs, but far out, that's going to be brilliant to see. Um, Really stoked for Edinson Cavani to actually get his goal of the tournament finally, because for me, he's been far more consistent than, than what Luis Suarez has. Okay, the goals have come from Suarez in the last two matches, but I feel like his performance in the first game against Egypt, I wasn't convinced by. You could see almost that he was forcing things and it wasn't coming naturally to him. And I thought that Cavani was the real standout there, but for me, like I said, he's been more consistent throughout this tournament. Great to see that he's got goals on the board. But what what problems are they going to pose for the Portugal defence? That's what's going to be so fascinating. But then, of course, you've got Ronaldo. OK, we know how brilliant a man he is, how brilliant a player he is and the form that he's been in this tournament. So it's going to be very exciting. I can't wait for that.
0: I know Cavani, Suarez, Ronaldo. I mean, what a lineup. Anyway, we'll take a short break and then when we come back, we'll uh, review what's coming up for us today because it's D Day for the Socceroos straight after this.
1: Feel closer to the action with the 2018 FIFA World Cup app. Oh, brilliant goal! With live matches and replays, highlights, and multiple camera angles. It's
3: into the net.
2: Plus, keep up to date with the Interactive Match Centre, statistics, and all the latest news from Russia. It's
3: not to be denied
1: today.
2: Experience the World Cup from
1: every angle with a free 2018 FIFA World Cup app. Download now.
0: And it's time now in the podcast to uh, turn on to the the juicy news uh, with uh, Ricardo. What have you got uh, for us today on the podcast?
3: First of all, I paid attention listening to podcasts that uh, I talk too fast. So I'm going to speak slower if you don't mind. And you got your voice back, so that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry. Two days. Brazil is playing again. Well... Uh, It's hard to bring all together, as I said to you, but some things, they they pop up as, I mean, you want to talk about Brazil, about Messi, about Neymar, but some things, they make you see that the World Cup is so much beyond football played. A guy, a friend of mine, took a picture of two Iranian fans in one of their matches. But then, when he zoomed in, in one of the girls that was there, beautiful girl, painted in her face, he saw something else in her fan ID fan ID people that don't know is being used for the very first time in Russia every single person that goes to a stadium must have a fan ID which is an accreditation with a picture well this girl had a hijab on her she had her hair covered she had her ears covered so in order to have your picture taken for the fan ID she must had the order by someone that she must have a hijab but instead when she went to the stadium here in Kaliningrad she was her hair ears totally free as I was telling you yesterday all nations are feeling amazingly here and from Iran the country that does not let women go to stadium this is a huge thing the second thing I think is the FanFest as you know FIFA has only one option for people that are at the spot of the world cup to go if they don't have a ticket and this is the majority it's called fan fest it's happening in every single venue every venue has a fan fest which is an open public area organized by the local organizing committee and it has oh, let's say the capacity for 20 25000 well this is a unique thing it's a show it has food music and so on but well, we are in russia so for the very first time the local organizers the kremlin the top government officials are saying no don't go to there what do you mean don't go to there that's the place i have to go no don't go there for the russian games because it could be dangerous it could be very crowded it could be a problem so stay home i mean imagine you're going to the whole length of your trip to russia to watch a game to leave the atmosphere in a fan fest and then kremlin tells you no, stay home, go to a bar, it's less dangerous. It's the end of the world, in my opinion. Well, after that, I think it's, uh, it's a fact that we are here in Moscow, and you know, in Moscow there are no mosquitoes. There's no mosquitoes here, it's amazing. We can have 30 degrees now in summer, but in Volgograd, which is in the other side of the world, where England played, Russia organizers had to bring helicopters to spray the whole area of the stadium to avoid so many mosquitoes. They have mosquitoes there, and a whole load of um, cream to avoid mosquitoes. You know, repellent was brought for players, for referees, for fans, because there was a huge amount of mosquitoes and the helicopters, they didn't help. So we hope they don't come to Moscow. Well, then I just have to finalize with uh, Latin news, which is Spain and Argentina. Spain are sleeping in a city called Krasnodar, which is 30 degrees heat. They are very well happy. They do the siesta. It's the only team that does not watch all games on TV. They watch it recorded because they have to have those two hours sleep after lunch. And they moved to Kaliningrad where the the, the temperature was eight degrees. In In the very middle of summer, Spain had to face this amazing change of temperatures. They are doing another thing. They are doing cryotherapy, which is a therapy where players are going to a cold a very strong room, a protected room with high cold to increase their metabolism, very unique system. Spain then is living in between this heat, cold, cold, heat and so on. And to finalize, before I send you a big hug, I must tell you that 31 years old Messi, yesterday as we said was his birthday, but the town where Argentina is sleeping, Bronitsky, had a festival, 25,000 people went there and they brought a huge cake with a huge statue of Messi And like for a minute, they stand in silence, a minute in respect of the sadness of Messi. They said that Bronitsky is becoming the world most famous city in Russia, thanks to Messi. So they all pray, they all have those good vibes to Messi, hoping that against Nigeria, there won't be a tragedy. So World Cup is going very well, thank you, Christophe. Very well, beyond the pitch, all the news are amazing and we will continue to be with you. Thanks, Ricardo.
0: Welcome back to the World Game podcast. D-Day, uh, as I said, for for the Socceroos, uh, let's first of all hear from
2: Craig Moore because he's got some few words about the Socceroos.
0: Craig, what do you expect from uh, the Socceroos? Uh, how does it, in your eyes, will play out?
2: Yeah, look, it's a very difficult game for us. I think Peru um, are a very dangerous side. Uh, I think that they've already shown, uh, you know, against Denmark in the first game, they, they probably were the better side but didn't get the points. Um, you know, France as well, kind of, they go down with a narrow defeat. Um, they have nothing to lose. And that, for me, can be a very dangerous team uh, with Peru. Uh, I guess with the, with the Socceroos, you know, does Bert van Marwijk um, make some changes, um, and, and what does that look like? And uh, the first, the first two games, although we've grown into the games nicely, we probably haven't started off the games as well as as what he would have liked. Um, so, can we have that positive start where? automatically we're playing the game in the opponent's half and putting them under pressure. Uh, We've kind of not managed to do that in the first two games and it's very important that we can do that in the early stages against Peru because if they get any rhythm uh, and get some confidence, they're fantastic technically uh, and can move the ball and shift you and make you work hard, but they've got some players with some quality that can hurt you as well. Quid of uh, Tim Cahill? What do you think? I I don't think Tim Cahill will start, um, but I believe that depending on how the game's going, if Australia are chasing, then there's there's a time for Tim K Cah- to come onto the game. That
0: was Craig Moore. Uh I mean D Day for the Socceroos, that's why that's my line for the day. Uh important day because it's it's do or die.
1: <sighs> it is, and I hate that we've put ourselves in this situation. It really breaks my heart because I think that this is a a national team that's capable of so much more. I really do. Um, On the balance of their performances, the the greatest shame and pain for me has been walking out of it and thinking, you know what, had we started the game in a a more proactive way, had we been more positive going forward and more aggressive then I feel like we could have gotten something out of it. But look, at the end of the day, everyone's a coach after the game, right? It's one of my favourite sayings, and um, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Ultimately, what we need to see now from this team is aggression and a desire to win right from the outset. So we know that that's not in their coach in Bert van Marwijk's DNA. Um, he is a more pragmatic coach. He doesn't like to be referred as a pragmatic man, but the reality is he is. Um, so is it wise to go up against a Peruvian side that are wanting to leave on a good note? You know, they've been out of the tournament for 36 years, so it's dangerous to be playing against a side that have basically nothing to lose and that everything to gain for from this um, in terms of pride. So It's going to be tough. Um, We know the quality that they've got. Obviously, the news that um, Jefferson Farfan has been ruled out with concussion. He was hospitalised a few days ago. is isn't good for them. Hopefully, it is good for us. But then that means that their captain, Paulo Guerrero, is going to star. And we know about his qualities too. So, it is going to be a real challenge for us. They've got a lot of speed out on the wings um, and it's going to cause us a lot of grief. I just hope, I just hope that we set up in a way that's going to do us proud, irrespective of the result.
0: Okay, and Andrew Nabut is going to be missing. Just let's hear from him. Very disappointed. Um, obviously, I want to keep playing. I want to help my you know, country as much as possible. And uh, now it's difficult because you know I dislocated my shoulder for the second time. So soon I'll need an operation, and um, I don't know if I'll be able to play in this tournament. I'm going to be supporting from from the sidelines. So I hope I hope we can we can definitely get the win and. We need a few goals to to make our goal difference positive, so I hope we score a few. And We play with a lot of structure and discipline. That's what we know. If we can keep our discipline for the whole game and our structure, we're definitely going to create chances and, and score goals and, you know, really send the message to the rest of the team. Yeah, hundred missing. be uh, missing, mean, obviously he's gutted. What does that change for the Socceroos?
1: Well, it changes who we're going to deploy up top. Now, obviously, when you look to the bench and the options that we do have, we've got Tim Cahill, we've got Tommy Jordich, and we've got Jamie McLaren. Historically, and based on what Burt van Marwijk has gone with in the past, that suggests to me that it is going to be Tommy Yordich that starts. Um, obviously, he has more experience than Jamie McLaren does in that regard, but then also, okay, what about the other other positions on the field that we could afford to bolster within. Um, You know, does Daniel Arzani start? Do we give the kid a a chance? Um, Or, at the very least, when we do bring him on, let's bring him on earlier, Bert. I'm not a coach, and I'll never profess to be, and my understanding of the game could always improve, but at the end of the day, these are the question marks that came out of that second match against Denmark. Why didn't Daniel Arzani come, come on sooner? And why didn't Tim Cahill come on at all? And to get technical and tactical for those purists out there when all those balls were being driven into the box in that second half in particular against Denmark, that was the perfect opportunity to bring on not only the greatest you know, servant to the green and gold, but the greatest threat aerially, and one of the greatest threats in the world, uh, on this world stage. So, that's a big issue for us, and I'm just hoping that Bert van Marwijk, not that he's listening to us, but that he reflected back onto that match and thought, yeah, actually, I should have done that, and I will do that if the situation calls for it in this game against Peru.
0: Okay, and then just to close this podcast, uh, of course of course France is playing Denmark, let's listen to some uh, Danish fans. Just walking past a, a bar here, we've got some uh, of uh, our Danish friends here were proudly wearing the shirts. Mm-hmm. You just arrived in Moscow guys. Yeah, it's amazing. We had a long train ride from Samara. Uh, it's been 16 hours, but okay. we got to play a lot of cards, <laughs> so that's good. Uh, how do you rate the chances of Denmark against France? Well, normally when
1: we meet France in the World Cup or so it went quite OK. So uh, we, we just look at the history. I think it'll be OK.
0: okay. I think in Australia, we all want you to lose. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of might occupy the spot we, we want. What, how do you think... You, your team will go and how do you think Australia will feel? I think Denmark and France will end up being a draw which is good enough for us and it's good enough for France so I don't know how you guys are going to fare against Peru but, but we'll see um, but I think Denmark and France will go through What was the reception uh, in Denmark for the quality of football? Because I know we spoke to, to Bjorn the other day and he, he was quite happy for the first 15 minutes uh, Denmark displayed against Australia but then very disappointed same feeling or not? Same, same. In fact, uh, a
2: bit disappointed about Denmark and the quality of football for the World Cup. In the qualification, we were very good, Uh, but but, uh, we still haven't found our two feet yet, but
0: we'll see how it goes. So, let's say, how far do you think Denmark can go in this uh, World Cup? Well, What's the expectation? What would be a good result? Uh, to, to be honest, getting out of the group stages is always a good result in a country like Denmark, so that that will be positive. And but but, but like if you look, what was in 1998 when we were in, the, we were in the quarterfinals against Brazil, and if you can do something similar to like that, that would be like a huge success for Denmark. And yeah. Okay. The question I ask all the fans: Let's say Denmark doesn't win the World Cup. Mm. Who's going to win it?
2: Uh, I think uh. Spain. I, I mean, a lot of teams I feel have disappointed Germany. France Argentina so far for the quality of play uh, I think Spain is going to win
0: So Danish fans here France-Denmark France uh, looks like the lineup is going to be totally shaken up what would that change for Australia?
2: Well
1: I hope it doesn't change anything for us because we know about the depth and the quality that lies within this Le Bleu side. Uh, What we've heard coming out of the the, the French camp is that Didier Deschamps is going to make a host of changes, potentially six. Just who those changes are, we're not entirely certain of. I think that Giroud will probably stay within the lineup purely because he wants to be able to give him more game time. We know that he started in their previous match, um, but that it would just be good to be able to unleash him and to potentially also get the result as well. I mean, for them, they're feeling quite comfortable. They've qualified for the round of 16 but I know how proud the French national team are and the quality that they've got and they want to be able to go into the round of 16 and know that they're they're going in with confidence and off the back of that um, is going to be a result against Denmark. Of course we know the permutations are that if Denmark do draw with France that they're through. So we need Le Bleu to get the job done. For tomorrow I'm both Australian and French. Trust the French. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Lissie. Thanks Christophe. Anytime.